off the shelf. Hello, and welcome to Church of the Geek. This is Sam Blair. And today I'm going to be reviewing for Off the Shelf, New Mutants number 17, written by Vida Ayala and art by Rod Race. The New Mutants was the title that really got me interested in comics. It started with the Demon Bear arc and quickly spread from there to other X-related titles. But New Mutants had always had a place in my heart. Well, almost always. The original team of Cannonball, Wolfsbane, Mirage, and Sunspot, with Magic, Magma, Cypher, and Warlock joining not long after, featured not only great stories, but about nearly getting eviscerated by giant magical bears, but highlighted the relationships the students have with each other. The original five X-Men were very much teenagers of their time, fine, upstanding young citizens all. This new class of Xavier's also were typical teenagers of their time, which being the early 80s meant moody, uncertain, and not so optimistic about the future as the previous generation. This made them imminently more relatable to teens at the time, like myself, who were making their way through all of the awkwardness and awesomeness of adolescence. In the 1990s, the team changed dramatically in makeup and direction. The introduction of Cable as the new de facto leader of the team basically turned them from high schoolers to mercenaries. The team make up very considerably, with some key members either leaving or getting killed off. Eventually, the New Mutants were no more, and the team became the much more hard-edged X-Force, although their main nemesis of the time, Strife, was certainly more hard-edged and had more of those hard edges too. An entirely new team was brought on in 2003, led by Danny Moonstar. While the title originally started as the New Mutants, that only lasted a year, with the title changing over to X-Men Academy X. It marked more of a return to form, however, the new class never really hit it off with readers. Reviewer Alex Richardson wrote that the characters were pretty much generic tropes, with their personalities being, quote, one note to the point of being barely present. Some really questionable and downright cringy writing choices, especially a romance between a teacher and a student, made this title rather forgettable. The title went on extended hiatus until finally coming back as a part of the current X-Men arc in 2019. Not only did the title come back, but the focus returned to the original team members, including formerly dead members Doug Ramsey and Rain Sinclair. The theme and tone of the book changed as well, writing once again focused on the relationships of the reconnected team members, and their role changed from being teachers to something more like mentors to the youngest mutants, shaping them less academically and more in identity as mutants and citizens of Krakoa. Which you think would be easy, given that Krakoa has basically been a paradise for mutants, aiming to be for all mutants regardless of their prior histories with a few notable exceptions. However, this situation has not been as peachy as the intended pie. Issue 17 begins with Rain, who has been guilt-struck by the knowledge that her son, whom she had presumed dead, might actually still be alive. This only came to light because her request for him to be resurrected by the Five was declined, as it seems his psyche is still somehow being backed up. The Five haven't been much help, though, to her. She feels that she has abandoned him, which ties back into her own shame of her own upbringing. Unfortunately, this has left her vulnerable and easy to take advantage of, 
And the person slipping into comfort reign in her hour is none other than Amal Farouk, the Shadow King. His very presence on the island baffles me, because if there's anyone who shouldn't be on that island, and especially palling up to the new mutants, it's him. In prior issues, we've seen him cozy up to a band of young mutants who seem to feel a bit more outcast than the others. His intentions remain hidden, but it is clear that he is working to divide the loyalties of the students. As we see him work on Rain's feeling of helplessness in order to bring her into his fold, we see her become more and more wolfen, hinting that her rational side may be slipping in favor of her more feral side. Meanwhile, Danny and Sean are in Otherworld and have been tasked with returning a vessel to Merlin stolen by Lady Roma, his daughter. What started out as an effort to reclaim one of their lost students has turned, as is often the case in Otherworld, into some sort of quest to solve a problem created by the highly inflated egos of its regents. The quest itself is rather silly and mundane, but it gives Mirage and Karma the chance to further develop their relationship, something which we see progress through the issue. When they finally find the missing mutant Josh, no code name though, he isn't willing to return. Josh's mutation makes him appear as a blue devil with long horns and tail, making him stand out even among the other mutants of Krakoa. However, in Otherworld, he has found a sort of kinship among those in the kingdom of Sevaleth. He explains to Danny and Sean that his appearance is nothing extraordinary to them. Krakoa, he explains, seems to be pushing hard for the mutants to be special, while he just wants to be Josh. While he is warned that staying may mean permanent death should he die, he shrugs that off with an argument that makes a lot of sense, saying, quote, Being functionally immortal is new. I've known I could die at any second since I first manifested, but for the first time since then, I'm living. While Danny and Sean are away, the rewards continue to turn on each other, exemplified by the more physically transformed Anol venting angrily to Gabrielle, a.k.a. Honey Badger, about how nobody gets him and those like him who can't pass for human. It's in this issue that we see the group siding with Farouk, heading into dangerous territory, swapping minds and bodies, and now contemplating swapping their minds into dead bodies so that they too can pass for human. I really appreciate how the writers are letting the characters in New Mutants shine. Sure, there's fighting, but the real drama is between the allies here. And by drama, I mean full-blown teenage tantrums about nobody gets me and nobody listens and nobody cares. The fact that this is played out against the old New Mutants team, who started out as angsty teenagers themselves, and who are now finally getting decent at being adults. And yet the fact that they're decent at it doesn't mean that it's easy. The teens are self-centered, easily heard, and reject authority in a way that comes very close to, you are my mom. And the adults, well, they don't listen, and frankly, they don't get them. I'm a parent of a teenager myself now, and I'm thankful that I haven't had the door-slamming dramas like we have here between Anol and Gabby, though I have had plenty of sulking and eye-rolling. I want to tell my teenager so often that I get it, but I know I don't. To him, I'm, I'm a perpetual adult. While I know that I too have been the teenage sulking eye-roller who has a hard time with words. Adulting is hard, and teaching and shaping the next generation to be adults is even harder, especially 
when some in that generation have reality-warping powers or are floating brains. Growing up often involves rejecting and pushing back against those same people you simultaneously rely on for support and stability. But shaping those entrusted to us by God to be better people is a whole lot harder than it is to train them to fight apocalypse, but it's also a lot more important. Oh yeah, the artwork. I really appreciate that New Mutants has a very distinct art style, quite different from that of the other X titles. Race's art manages to evoke the weirdness and surrealness of New Mutants' Bill Sienkiewicz days without being derivative. Race got his start doing fantasy and RPG art, and you can definitely see that influence here. In an interview with CBSI, he said that he really likes working with New Mutants because the weirder, the better. He also puts a lot of detail and drama into his characters' interactions, showing rather than telling, which is something that is sometimes missing in the other X titles. I think you should definitely pick this up. Pick up the prior issues if you can as well, especially issues 13, 14, and 15. Uh, And this is really good reading. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned in to Church of the Geek for more comic book deep dives. If you've missed us recently or just found us, check out our reviews of Kingdom Come by Mark Wade and Alex Ross or Blankets by Craig Thompson. Remember to leave us a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. It helps us to build our our audience. And you can find and share us on Facebook as well as on Twitter at geekchurch.com. And until Warlock turns into a cappuccino machine, geek be with you.